six. Tonight we continue our study in the book of Genesis and how we see that the Lord has been showing us through the life of Joseph just One, two. Check. One, two. Check, check, check. There we go. Tonight, as we continue our study in the book of Genesis, we've been observing how God was with Joseph throughout his life. And it's a theme that we should adopt and know and understand that God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. When we left off, it was the most emotional and dramatic part of Joseph's story when he finally, after all the suffering that he had went through, revealed himself to his brothers of who he was and how God had sovereignly used what the brothers were using for evil, for good. And not only their family's life, but in the life of all the Egyptians the the whole world at that point that was saved from famine because of simply Joseph being led by God. Now, to recap a little bit of, of Joseph's life, if you remember, we were observing how from a young man, he was spoiled. His father just poured so many gifts and so much love on him that his brothers became so envious and so jealous that they sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him initially, but by the grace of God, he spared them from committing such acts. So they sold him into slavery and told their father that Joseph had been eaten alive by some wild beasts. And then for 13 years, Joseph was in captivity. He was sold to Potiphar, and then in Potiphar's household, his wife, Potiphar's wife, began to cast longing eyes on Joseph, 
to the point where she would try to seduce him. And when he would flee, he ran away so fast she caught his garment. And as he ran out, she then called out to the guards and claimed that he tried to rape her. And then from then he was thrown in prison. And there in the jail cell, still God was still with him. And as God was giving him leadership roles and there in the prison, he was elevated and, and to a point where he was able to minister to these two men, a butler and a baker. And the butler in particular had a dream, which he interpreted that he was going to get out of jail. Joseph interpreted the dream that within three days, Pharaoh would take the butler out of jail and restore him to his position, which indeed happened. But the butler forgot about Joseph's kindness to him and a few more years went on until finally the Pharaoh had a dream that disturbed him so much that he needed a translator So, for the dream. So he began to ask all the magicians and the astrologers. And finally, the butler said, you know what? I, I know a man who can interpret dreams. He interpreted my dream when I was there in jail. And so Joseph then was restored out of the pit, out of the dungeon, placed before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, once he had his dream interpreted, said, whoa, who like you has the spirit of God in them? I'm going to make you second in command. You see, not only did Joseph have the interpretation of the dream, but then Joseph had the wisdom from God of how to handle such famine in the land. And so after the Egyptians were prospering and, and for seven years, they stored all the food, according to Joseph, according to the, to the word of God which God gave Joseph. And then when the seven years of famine came, Joseph's brothers and his family, his father, became hungry. They had no food. So their father sent some of their brothers, except for the youngest one, Benjamin. And he sent them to get food. And when they went to get food from Egypt, Lo and behold, they were appeared before their brother Joseph and they didn't even recognize him. They thought he was probably dead at this point. And so Joseph kept back one of their brothers, Simeon, and he said, look, you guys are spies. I'm going to put Simeon in jail. And unless you come back to me with this so-called youngest brother, Benjamin, that you guys talk about, you guys, I'm going to keep Simeon here in the prison until you do so. And you're not going to get any food. So the brothers go back to their father and explain to their father, look, the man took Simeon. We need to bring Benjamin so we can get food, so we can survive. And after much fear in, in Jacob's heart, Jacob finally agrees. He says, you know what? Okay, take Benjamin. And this is after Judah at this point had told his father, look, if Benjamin doesn't come back, I will put my life on the line. If he comes across trouble, 
then I will put myself in his way, in harm's way. So they go back with their younger brother, Benjamin, and all the brothers are there. And when Joseph finally sees their brothers and Benjamin, he sees that the brothers care for Benjamin. That there's been some repentance and remorse throughout their life. And Joseph begins to weep and he's overcome with all these emotions. And then finally, at the end of it, he reveals himself. He says, look, brothers, I am Joseph, your brother. And at that point, when they finally realize, oh my gosh, this is Joseph whom we sold into slavery. There's uh, this amazing reunion that God had completed where the evil that they had meant for Joseph, God turned out for good. And so he tells his brothers, look, go back to my father and tell him to come. Tell him to come to Egypt and we're going to take care of the family. So this is where we pick up in tonight's study. In chapter 46 of Genesis, beginning with verse 1, it says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. We can see here, obviously, Jacob is afraid to go to Egypt because God appearing to him tells him, don't be afraid. Perhaps Jacob was thinking, what if, what if it's a trap? What if the Egyptians try to take over? What if my son's still not really alive? What if this is all a lie? But God had to remind him, look, Joseph is alive and he's going to put his hand on your eyes. Wow. In verse five, then Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father, Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him. Now his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Now, at this point, we can see there's a lot of children. And I would encourage you guys, when you do your own devotional, when you go through the Bible, go through all the genealogies that you come across. You'll see some names that will bring up some memories that the Holy Spirit has given you. For tonight's purpose, we are going to be skipping verses 9 through verse 25 because 
uh, unless you guys want to do a report on all these different names, uh, we're going to go ahead and just continue on in our study in the book of Genesis. Now in verse 26, all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who went to Egypt, were 70. So this is a big family now. You got 70 persons going to Egypt. And it's it's huge. He had 12 sons, and those 12 sons had kids, and they were growing and growing and growing. And it, it's, it's quite interesting to see how God blesses the families. And when you have those children, the Bible teaches us that those are a blessing in our life. So, be fruitful, multiply. Now in verse 28, Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land, of Goshen. Now, Goshen, which was this first part of the land of Egypt, it, it lay near to Canaan. It was near the, the Nile Delta, uh, there near Egypt. So, in verse 29, so Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck. And wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Wow. Remember, Jacob, also known as Israel, he thought he lost his son. He thought his son was dead. For all these years, Time had gone by. And that relationship between the father and the son was broken. And now it's being restored in an amazing way. Joseph, at this point, Israel is saying to him, I can die now. I could go on in peace because I know that my son was not torn by some crazy wild beasts. It reminds me of the relationship that God has with us, his children, God being our father. And though Joseph was one of 12 brothers, it didn't take away, though Jacob had many sons, the fact of how much he loved Joseph. We know this can't be erased, that that love. It reminds me of the parable of the lost sheep and how God leaves the 99 for the one. If you remember in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives a parable of the lost sheep. In Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. 
For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. See, God cares for that that one unsaved person. Though there's many in the church of God and many believers whom he loves and rejoices over, he wants us at times to focus on that one that is astray, to leave those who are saved so that we can focus on that one who is lost and love on them, that his love can flow from us too that one sheep. See, this is the the love of a good father, of a heavenly father in our life, who went after you, who went after me, so that he can bring us into his family. This is the love that we see between Jacob and Joseph, the father and son relationship. Now in verse 31, Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all they have. So it shall be, When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph is preparing for his family to meet Pharaoh and to dwell there in the land of Goshen. And he's particular in telling his brothers how they should tell Pharaoh of their occupation because he desires for them to be there in this good place of Goshen because Goshen, there near the the Nile, the Delta, near Egypt, had a great plain and land for grazing of flocks and herds. You see, this was next to Egypt. But he also, at the same time, didn't want his family to go into Egypt to dwell there because there was sorcery and there would be possibly a a prejudice toward foreign shepherds. Now, there were actually these king shepherds that the Egyptians had, known as the the Hissics. But concerning foreign shepherds, the Egyptians saw them as an abomination. And Joseph, I can also imagine that he also wanted them near Egypt, though, enough so that he can visit them and that they would have this 
flocks and herds just grazing there in the land of Goshen. In chapter 47, Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. I wonder which five he chose. He was like, okay, I'm going to choose these five. The other guys I'm not so cool with. I don't know. In verse three, then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. You see, they're explaining to Pharaoh that we need to feed our flocks, Pharaoh. And we're just... Sojourners, we're not coming here to invade Egypt and to to take over the land, but we're we're simply looking to feed for our flocks. And in a symbolic way, this kind of ministers to me, being that uh, through COVID we had to experience the leaving of the youth center, the public teen center. We didn't stop teaching the word because it's important that as believers, we are fed the word of God and we need to continue in studying this. So as a leader, we need to, to pass on the word of God from us to other people. It's vital. And in Joseph's brothers, they saw the, importance of feeding their flocks it was important so that they could keep their family alive so in verse 5 then pharaoh spoke to joseph saying your father and your brothers have come to you the land of egypt is before you have your father and brothers dwell in the land of egypt let them dwell in the land of goshen and if you know any competent men among them then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? <laughs> That's a funny question to ask, right? Jacob comes in and notice he's the one who's blessing Pharaoh, not the other way around. The Bible states that the greater will bless the lesser, as was in the case of Abraham to Melchizedek. But what we see here is Jacob is blessing Pharaoh, which in this point, Pharaoh must have saw, whoa, who is this old man who is blessing me? So his response to him is, how old are you? And I'm sure he, Jacob probably looked just worn at this point in his life because he's 130 years old. 
In verse 9, it says, And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Now this is an awesome statement that Jacob makes to Pharaoh. He says, look, the days of the years of my pilgrimage. And by stating this, what he's really saying is that this life that I am living is a journey to something that one day will be home. This whole lifespan that Jacob was living, he saw it as temporary, which it is, and we know this. But he also understood that once this life ended, that eternity for him meant being home. And that's what eternity for us believers is. It's going home. See, we're not made to live and stay like this evil, sinful world state forever. We're just people who are camping out. What is, what is camping? You go up to the mountains. You take a tent with you some marshmallows and s'mores, and you set up the tent, and you stay there for a while. And that tent, it's a temporary living space. It's a temporary dwelling. But eventually, you pack up the tent, and then you go back home. And in this life, this body that we are in, it's a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. And one day, when we're in heaven with Christ, he will give us a new body. No longer a tent, but something that we will have for eternity. No more suffering, no more pain, no more COVID, no cancer, no, no more sin, no evil. And it's going to be so relieving, so redeeming, so amazing to be there with Jesus. And we look forward to it. You see, Jacob recognized that few and evil have been the days and years of his life. And it's interesting how he says few because this life is, is actually very short in comparison to eternity. But there is evil in them. Nonetheless, Jacob did bless Pharaoh. And then in verse 11, and Joseph situa situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. So now they're dwelling there 
you know, just like in, in Goshen and I wish this could be the end of the story. Oh, happy ending. But there is uh, perhaps a, a fear that Jacob also knew about. You see, God promised Abraham, if you recall, when Abraham was sacrificing unto the Lord, in Abraham's visions, darkness came over him, and he heard the voice of God tell him, said, Abraham, you're going to have many children, and I will take them to Egypt where they will be enslaved for 400 years, but I will bring them back to the land, to our homeland. So perhaps I wonder if Jacob knew of this. Maybe that was a reason why he was scared to go back to Egypt. Then in verse 13, Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, the grain which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. So now Egypt is in crisis. Not only is there a famine in the land, but even the extra food that they had stored, which Joseph had wisely told them to store and to be prepared for, now the people don't even have money to buy it anymore. But look at the wisdom that God has given Joseph. In verse 16, Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with the bread in exchange for all the livestock that year. So now they're trading. It's not about money. It's about keeping the people alive. And then in verse 18, when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord, that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph here, with the wisdom of, of God, still looks out for the Egyptians and his family. He's saying, okay, look, I'll, I'll buy the land and give you guys food. We're going to take care of you guys. And put them on this plan where they're going to be able to support themselves and then in the future pay off their debts. Look at verse 20. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. 
for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations, which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food and for those of your households and as food for your little ones. So here's something that's quite interesting is that Joseph says, look, okay, we're going to give you guys food. We're going to take care of you guys. And basically, as you guys were going to harvest in the future and make flocks when this famine is over, and uh, with all your gains and profits that you receive in the future, you're just going to give 20% to Pharaoh. And it's just 20% flat, and we're going to continue to feed you and make sure that you guys are, are taken care of. And what I see here is uh, the way that their government was run back then in Egypt was a simple 20% tax, and um, I'm sure they were getting uh, less taxation than we are here in California. So Joseph made it pretty easy for them. Um, now in verse 25, so they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which, not, which did not become Pharaoh's. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. It's a long time to live. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now, Jacob was realizing he was getting older. His father had lived to 175 years old. His grandfather lived to 185 years old. And Jacob now knew that his time was coming to an end. So he made his son Joseph swear to him that he would not be buried in Egypt 
but that they would take his body back to his homeland, to the plots of land which his grandfather had bought so that he could be buried there in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel. Now in verse 48, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And we took with him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. You guys remember Manasseh and Ephraim's names? Manasseh, his name means uh, to forget because Joseph forgot all the pain and suffering that he had experienced with this blessing that God had given him. And then Ephraim, his name meant double portion. And then in verse two of chapter 48, and Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Something to note that God had given the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that they would receive the land of Israel. And suddenly after Jacob, God no longer gives that promise directly to the Israelite person. So Joseph and the 12 brothers, they never received that direct promise from God, but they knew of the promise from their father, Jacob. And it's quite interesting how then at this point, they are actually gearing towards being in Egypt for a while longer before God takes them through the deliverer, Moses, back to Israel. Now we're going to get into that in the near future here. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But we will study Moses as the gears are now turning towards that area. But in verse 5, And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget, after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Benjamin. So what Jacob is saying here is to his son Joseph. He's saying, look, you're my grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh. They're mine. They're not going to be considered your children 
after I die, but they're going to be considered as my own children, meaning that one of these two was going to get that double portion, which is promised to the firstborn. But it wouldn't go to Reuben. And why wouldn't it go to Reuben? Most likely because Reuben, if you remember, he ended up sleeping with one of Jacob's concubines. And because of this, he kind of lost his place. Now, in verse 8, Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now, if you would remember, perhaps because of his old age, Jacob could barely see the sons who were standing there. And he's like, who are these guys who are here before me? They were probably in their 20s at this point. And then in verse 10, now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. See, look at right here. Jacob is reminding us that God uh, sometimes allows us to see things in this lifetime that are way beyond our expectation. Because God's ways are way higher than our ways. When he thought he would never see Joseph's face again, God allowed him to see Joseph's grandchildren, his own grandchildren. And then in verse 12, So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Now he's bringing them this particular way because he wants to make sure that his oldest son, Manasseh, gets the double portion. And then in verse 14, Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, Bless the lads. Now here's an interesting statement in verse 16. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. See, first he talks about God who walked before Abraham and Isaac and fed him all his life, realizing that God has sustained him. It wasn't himself. It was God who took care of Jacob. But then in verse 16, he's 
referring to the angel, and the angel is capitalized, who has redeemed me from all evil. You see, Abraham met an angel known as God. And then Jacob wrestled with an angel who he also saw as God. And what do we, most Bible scholars refer to when God appears in human form in the Old Testament? It's Christ. Oh. Christ, the Redeemer of us from evil. And that word for redeemed, it means to be bought, doubly bought. And it's a reminder that we are not our own, that we belong to God. So he's praying this blessing upon them, saying, bless the lads. At the end of verse 16, let my name be upon them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Verse 17, now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not, not so, my father, for this one is not the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know he also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. See, sometimes we think we understand the way God is supposed to work in our life. You see, Joseph as his Older son is supposed to be the one who gets the double portion, is then placed second, and Joseph is saying, "No, no, no, Jacob, uh, Dad, you're not, you're, you're blessing the wrong grandchild here." And Jacob's like, "No, son, I, I I know what God told me to do." He had a southern draw, but as Jacob is blessing them, he had to be reminded of what God did in his life, of how God told his mom when him and his twin brother Esau were wrestling in their stomach, how God told his mother, you have two nations inside of you and they're fighting with each other and the older is going to end up serving the younger. And then throughout Jacob's life, he always tried to manipulate and try to be the, the one who was in charge and in control and try to steal his brother's birthright, even though he was second. But God knew what he was doing. God had allowed things to happen in Jacob's life. And I wonder if God had spoken to Jacob, had told him some way or another, we, all, we know through the Spirit, but how it went down and how Jacob must have felt now blessing again the younger over the older. And I'm reminded that 
sometimes we we look at things and we look at people and say, oh, like how can this person ever uh, change? How can they ever uh, do what Christians should do? And we forget that we have a God who is all-powerful, able to change people's hearts, able to change people's minds. Sometimes we think, how can we, in our state, whether we're young or old, or how can we serve God? How can we do things for the Lord? And no, that's not our job because we have all this list of things of why we shouldn't share the gospel, of why we shouldn't start a Bible study or, or pray with someone. And most of the time, it's excuses from the flesh. You see, God has a way of making the foolish things confound the wise in order that he gets the glory. And I love that. I love being reminded that God doesn't look merely on the outside, but God looks at the heart of a man. Remember, we learned that with David. It's more important that we have Christ in us. Rather than trying to be the most successful person here on this life, trying to manipulate and be have success in this life that we're living on our own terms, wouldn't it be so much better to just allow the Holy Spirit to live in us so that he can guide us and Allow him to do that amazing work that we ourselves cannot do on our own. See, he was going to do this with the younger of Joseph's sons. That's why he put Ephraim to have the double portion. Now, with this, keep in mind, because Ephraim and Manasseh are now taking place into what Jacob wanted to replace as his sons. He wanted to have them now as his own sons. They are now taking Joseph's spot. So you have Ephraim and Manasseh taking Joseph's spot as these 12 tribes of Israel, which would then really make 13 tribes. But whenever we read about the tribes of Israel in the Bible, it's always listed as 12. Now, in the book of Revelation, what's interesting is that it has the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, and it talks about the 12 tribes of Israel, but it doesn't list the tribe of Dan. Now, some Bible scholars believe that the tribe of Dan is not listed because of their immorality and how they left the Lord. And we're not quite sure. Other parts of the, the Bible, when the 12 tribes are listed, sometimes the Levites are not listed when God was giving land to the different tribes, to the 13 tribes. The tribes of Levi are not given land. And here's why. Because the Levites were then given God as their inheritance. God himself would be their portion and the Levites were chosen to be priests of God for the people. 
So kind of some interesting just trivia, knowing the, the 12 tribes and how they were all divided. But now, now in verse 21, verse 20, we'll read verse 20 again. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So we have here the conclusion of the blessings of Jacob to his sons. Really, actually, next week we're going to get into as he blesses the rest of his 11 sons. Some of them he blesses and some of them he actually curses. Um, And then we have chapter 49 and chapter 50, and then we are done with the book of Genesis. And we begin now the study of Exodus next uh, two weeks from now as we dive into Moses. But all these things we are reminded of in these chapters in the life of, of Joseph is how God sovereignly worked all these things together for good. How God was in control of giving wisdom to Joseph and having love poured out from Jacob to his family. How God is the one who blesses. and He puts those in power. How God is ultimately in control. How God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. May this week you be amazed with how God can use you when you simply ask him to. When you say, God, use me today. Be prepared. Don't be scared. and Be joyful that God desires to have his Holy Spirit live in and through you. And he has an awesome plan for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your love, your grace. Go before us, Lord, as we, Lord God, are preparing, Father, just to be reminded of the birth of Christ this season. Father, open doors of ministry for family. Keep us safe. Father, continue to teach us through your word. May we be students, Father, of Christ knowing, Lord God, uh, the meaning behind the word. Knowing, Father, just how to apply it to our life. May we encourage others, Lord God, to do so. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This Sunday we are having communion in my backyard. So if you're going to be joining us online, get, go ahead and get your uh, communion cup ready for, and be prepared for that. Um, and 
if you're going to meet us here on Sunday morning, we would love to uh, have communion with you. So we'll see you this week. Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the plains And the mountains in reply Echoing their joyous streams Gloria in excelsis Yeah.